Hey, my name is Steven. If we haven't met, what's up? I'm from, <laughs> no, I get made fun of for opening like that. What's up? Uh, I'm from Florida, so this is the coldest it's ever been in my life. <laughs> and I'm, I know, and I get that every time. Just wait. It's going to get worse. And I'm like, that's the encouragement you have for me right now? Not, I'm sorry for you. But I just turned 25 yesterday. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. Thank you. Don't sing. Please don't. No, no I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, no. Stop. Right now. We're going to cut that. Uh, <laughs> no, no. All right. Finish up. Happy birthday, dear Stephen. Happy that was good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and I'm getting older, and so I, uh, <clears throat> I feel like I'm getting like kind of lazy and pudgy. So I have been working out a little bit lately, and you know, like after you get done with a workout, I've been working out with Josiah, and it's literally the worst. Um, <laughs> not because of him, he's a great guy. Uh, you know that feeling that you get after a workout, like, man, this was like really terrible. Like, I just want to throw up and like go sit in a shower. And at least that's how I feel 90% of the time. But then like after a little bit, you feel good about it too. You're like, oh, like I feel terrible, but also good. I, I kind of want that to be how we feel about tonight. And then that sounds weird. You're like, I, you want me to feel like I want to go throw up in a shower? No. <clears throat> I want you to feel good and also challenged. And I think tonight Paul wants to comfort us in our walk with Jesus for those who are, are Christians in the room, I think he wants to comfort you and also challenge you. And we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been going through a series of looking at the letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he's been dealing a lot with division that is among the church. And he's calling them, hey, remember your identity and remember the need to live that out. And so tonight, I pray that you feel comforted by Paul's words, but also challenged. And, and, I, and I, I think he's going to explain this in a couple different ways. We're going to see this in verses one through five, that he's actually going to call us to something. He's going to call us to do something in verses one through five. And he's also going to call us to not do something. And then in verses five through 15, he is going to call us to be comforted, but also to be challenged. Let's pray, and, and then let's just get to work looking at this passage. Father, um, man, we don't have anything to say from this stage. Salt Company doesn't have anything to say from this stage other than your word, other than what is written in your word to give us life. Father, tonight, would you speak to someone in this room? Father, I know that there are people who have walked into this room with questions, with doubts, with pain, with hurt, with history. Lord, would you speak to them tonight the good news that you sent your son for them, that they might have life in him and that we can be comforted, but also we are challenged to live out our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin to look at, at verse one in chapter three. Are you there? First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. It says this, for my part, brothers and sisters, and, and just pause there for a second. Have you noticed the repetition throughout this whole book? Like every time he begins like a statement towards the church, he's going to begin it with brothers and sisters. This is actually the fourth time that he said this. And, and I think that he's doing something very specific here. He is rooting us back in our identity. 
Jake said it this past week at Candeo that the most important thing is whose you are. And I believe that's true. And I think Paul wants to ingrain that in our mind. Like, you know, when teacher, a teacher says like the same thing over and over again, you're like, oh, frick, that's going to be on the test. Like Paul is like trying to ingrain this into your mind. He's saying brothers and sisters. I think he's doing this because oftentimes when we're confronted about sin, when we live out our life, we begin to forget whose we are. We begin to forget our identity. But Paul is reminding us, listen, it is by grace that you are saved. It is by grace that you are brothers and sisters. You are sons and daughters of God. And then it continues this in verse one. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. Babies are like really stinking cute, right? Like they're like these little pudgy, chunky, mini human muffin things. Like <laughs> you can tell I, have, I haven't had a kid yet, but because that's the way I talk about kids. But they're just like these little cute things, right? And, and Paul is like drawing the imagery of the Corinthian people and reminding them and saying, like he's pulling out that wallet. You know how those dads who always talk about their kids, Michael Lisi, <laughs> he's not here. I shouldn't say that. Uh, He's like pulling out his wallet and saying, hey, remember when I came to you? You guys were like babies. This is what you looked like. He's pulling out the wallet saying, I gave you milk because you weren't ready for, for, for solid food. You were babies in Christ. And immediately something in my mind struck that there's something that we can learn from this. And that is this. I think we are called as Christians to continually deepen our understanding of the gospel. That all of us in this room, when we came to Christ, were babies. That's what new birth is all about. When you came to Jesus and were saved, you were born into a new family, but you were born as a baby in need of milk. But we were not supposed to remain just as babies. Like we were meant to just survive on milk like you in your life were meant to thrive. God wants you to thrive in this new life, to grow. He calls us to continually learn more about him, to continually learn more about the father and to grow in the gospel. Let me, let me put it this way. Like when I got married two and a half years ago to my wife, wouldn't it be weird if you came up and asked me like, man, what's one thing about you love about your wife? And I'm like, yeah, I remember two and a half years ago, just like she was wearing that white dress and it was just a great day, man. I just love her. And you're like, oh, cool. Well, what about something in the past two years? And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know, really. Gosh, I really don't know much more about her. I mean, she said yes on that day. Like, no, like, like I am supposed to continue to grow, to learn more about my wife. And me knowing more about her actually deepens my love for her. I am supposed to grow. Like she would have like gotten rid of me a long time ago, right? If I don't continue to, to love her and grow in her. In the same way, Paul's calling us not to live as babies of Christ, but continually deepen our understanding and knowledge of him. There is more to know about God. Like if you're sitting in this room and you're like, man, I've checked that off the list. I've got the gospel. 
I think you might have a misunderstanding about what the gospel actually is. Because we should never, we should never move on from the gospel. We should never get over the gospel. We should never get over what God has done for you in your life. But we should move forward in the gospel. We should not move on from the gospel, but we should move forward in the gospel. There is greater joy to be had in your life. There are things in your world right now, relationships, your work, your job, your school, that need to grow in understanding of how the gospel shapes how I view that. We are supposed to grow in maturity. We weren't meant to be like fed by a bottle for the rest of our life. Salt company right now on a Thursday night is not your baby bottle to just continue to feed you. And, and in two years, you look exactly the same as when you first started coming. You don't come on a Thursday night to be fed by a baby bottle and just get a little spiritual milk and that be it. And, and I think a lot of us know that, right? A at least for me. Like I know that I'm supposed to grow in maturity and spiritual wisdom. And we even desire some of those things. Many people in this room, man, I, I want to know more about God. I want to grow in my spiritual wisdom. I, I even maybe want to be a leader in salt one day. And Paul is actually going to challenge them because these people in, in Corinth, they were after spiritual wisdom and they wanted to know more about God. They wanted to move on past the gospel into deeper things. But Paul is going to challenge them right here. And look how he does it in the rest of verse two. Remember, he's telling them, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you weren't ready for it. And look at this kicker right here. In fact, you still are not ready for it. Why? Because you are still worldly. Paul is not trying to sound cute about this baby metaphor. These are people who are priding themselves in being wise and being spiritually. And Paul is saying, listen, remember when you were a baby? You still look like that. Remember two years ago when, when, when I came to you and you were babies in Christ? and you weren't ready for solid food, you are still in that same position. When he came to them, they were lost, people of the flesh. And now he's saying, you are still acting that way. There's a big idea to unpack here. So hang with me. In verse one, we see it. He says, when I came to you, you were people of the flesh. And then in verse three, he says, you are still worldly. Another translation, a better translation for that would be, you are still fleshly, which means this. This is the big idea. He makes a very subtle but significant change in that word. He moves from, you were of the flesh, like you were lost, unspiritual people. And some people in this room may be in that category. Like I am lost. I am not a child of God. I am unspiritual because I do not have a relationship with the Lord. And then Paul says, and now that's what you were. And now you're fleshly. There's one little letter right there that changes everything. Let me explain it this way. There's a, a really fine dining establishment over on University Avenue. <clears throat> it's called, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's pretty fancy. You have to get a reservation. It's called Taco Bell. <laughs> it's, 
I know, it's exclusive. Take your girlfriend on a date there. It's great. <clears throat> but they have this thing on the menu. I go there a lot. I know, this is sad. Um, they have this thing on the menu, right? It's called, it's beautiful. It's called a beefy five-layer burrito. You with me, anybody? Just me? Are people, Florida, is, are we, do we just eat Taco Bell a lot? Is that weird? People in Iowa are like, we don't eat Taco Bell. Um, Taco Bell is so smart in the way that they word it. Beefy five-layer burrito. That sounds really gross right now, actually. Uh, <laughs> there's one letter there that actually saves them from a lawsuit. It actually saves them from you, like, getting sick and then suing them because they actually fed you dog food, like, which is what they do. I still love it. I'm still going to eat it tomorrow. <laughs> you can judge me. I don't care. But do you see what they do? There? They add a Y so that you can't sue them. Because when you go and say, hey, like, I got sick from this. This is dog food, not beef. And they're like, we never called it beef. We said beefy. Like we never, we never claimed that it was actual beef. It's just kind of like beef, right? It's just beefy-esque. Like it's this mixture of dog food and gravel. And it is so good. And I don't know how they do it. Um, but, but in the same way, Paul is making this difference. Like flesh and fleshly. You were of the flesh like you were once this, and now you're not the same thing, but you're kind of like it. So what he's saying is you were, when I came to you, you were lost, unspiritual, and you accepted Christ, and you became a new creation, and yet you still look like the world. And what Paul is going to tell us tonight is this is not okay. That there is a call away from being like the world. And that we right now as Christians should actually quit conforming to the world around us. Christians are called to quit conforming to the world. So if what he's calling them to is a deeper understanding of the gospel, what he's calling them away from is conformity like the world. So, so think about it this way. Positionally, they are right with God, okay? They are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how he opened it up. But the way that they're practicing this, they are not practicing it by living in the spirit. They are not living out their identity of righteousness, but rather they're living out their flesh. So let me ask this question to you. Is it possible to be a Christian, to call yourself a Christ follower and look like the world? Is it possible to do that? I would say yes, with a contingency. Yes, because when, when you came to know Christ, when you got a new identity, you were not immediately transformed into a mature believer, right? And Paul even admits this, hey, when I came to you and you came to Christ, you were babies in Christ. Romans 12, one through two, I think is, is a beautiful uh, picture of this. He says this to a church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, now listen to this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God does not expect instant transformation from a baby to an adult. But he does call us to begin to live out the new identity that you have in Christ. We are to move on to continually be more and more free from our sin that, that dictated our old life. We are to every day look less like the world that we were a part of and to be more like Christ who we are now rooted in. Listen, there may be areas in your life right now. In fact, I know that there are areas in your life right now that look more like the lost world around us than they do then it does look like Christ. There are areas in your life that look more like the lost world than it looks like being a Christian. You may have walked in here tonight. And maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel bad because right now you know that there's an area that looks more like the world than it does look like, like Christ. And I want to encourage you. Listen, Jesus calls everyone, come to me. If you came like that into this room, listen, that is okay. You know why? Because I, I came into the room like this. Man, this week in this text right here, I was confronted with serious things in my life that did not look like what Christ has called me to be, but looked a lot more like what was going on in Corinth. Be encouraged tonight. Jesus calls you in an invitation, but he also is going to challenge us. So back to your question, can you be a Christian and look like this world? Yes, but we cannot be a Christian and remain like the world. Listen, Come however you are tonight with anything that is going on, whatever sin, whatever brokenness is in your life. We are so glad that you're here. But do not make the mistake of remaining the same. If there is something in your life right now that the Lord is bringing up to say, hey, this does not look like what it looks like to follow me. Do not remain the same. Romans 8 also says this, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children's also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified in him. This is what the verse is saying. When we are at our lowest point, the spirit within us, it testifies and says, listen, you are not of this world. This is not who you are. When you sin in your life, when you are dealing with things that grip onto you, the spirit testifies in us and says, this is not who you are. You are a child of the most high God. Jake said it uh, this past Sunday, and I thought it was beautiful. He says, the most important thing is whose you are. 
And I believe that is so true. Our identity is what's going to root us in there. Listen, if there is an area in your life that, does not, that doesn't look like Christ and looks a lot like the world right now, I pray that we don't leave this room without doing something to ensure that it does not remain that same way. So how, how do we live less like the world and more like in the identity that Christ has called us to? I think we begin to grow in our maturity when we begin to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And I was reading Galatians 5 this morning and it says this, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to tells us exactly what the desires of the flesh are. And I think many of us, we can know these and have experienced these sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, hatred, jealousy, anger, division, drunkenness, and anything similar, Paul says. I think all of us can name like many of those, probably just within this last week. But he tells us the fruit of the spirit is joy. And he tells us to walk in the spirit. So what does that mean? For you, Christ follower, it looks like prayer and meditation on God's word and the spirit crying out to you, conforming you to the image of Christ, not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind in Christ. We begin to look like practically what we are positionally. I'll say that again. We begin to look in our life practically. We begin to practice what our position is with God. And for some of us today, the reason we are practicing these things and unrepentant of our sin is because our position with God is not child of God, but actually enemy of God. That we are not children of God. And so we are just practicing whatever we want and we are falling on our face and, 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 and running into the same roadblock of being unfulfilled and unsatisfied. We have a position problem, not a practice problem. And, and for you, Christian, today, for you to practice what your identity is, is to practice by putting your mind on your position with God, preaching the gospel yourself every day and every morning. The next thing I think we're going to see in chapter three, I believe is going to be a big comfort for you tonight. Specifically, if you're a, one of our leaders in this room at Salt Company, I believe this is going to give you great confidence and great comfort. Every week on Wednesday, I get in a car with a guy named Paul Sabino, who is the lead teaching pastor here at Candeo, and we drive over to Ames, Iowa. Do you guys know where Ames is? It's like an hour and a half away. So an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back every week I spend with Paul. And one thing without fail, we always talk about corn. <laughs> Do you know why we talk about corn? Because it's the only daggum thing you see from here to Ames. When people call me and they're like, Steve, like, dude, how's Iowa? What are you learning? And I'm like, dude, I am learning a crap ton about corn. <clears throat> And it's wonderful. But you know what I've learned about corn is like farmers, like it's really hard work, right? I don't know if any of you are farmers. I'm not a farmer. Are you a farmer? Dude, farming is hard work. Like it is legit, like salt of the earth, hard work. It's a lot of work. 
But farming is also a lot of like waiting. A lot of like just like sitting there and waiting. Specifically, like you plant the corn, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm from Florida. Uh, you plant corn, you can fertilize it, you can water it, and then you wait. You wait for it to grow, right? Like you don't see farmers walking over to the cornfield and like getting down by the corn and being like, you got this, buddy. Like you can do this, just grow. Like they don't like pull it by the corn hair. Is that a thing? Nope. <laughs> they don't like pull it by the corn hair and like, Pull it up out of the ground, right? Why? You can, pl you can plant it. You can water it. You can't make corn grow. And Paul is going to show us in this section right here, starting in verse five, this is what it looks like to be a part of building God's church. This is what it looks like to be a part of building God's church. You can plant it. You can water it. You cannot make it grow. And remember, if you remember this and, and, and read when he was teaching, these are people who are boasting in themselves, who have pride in themselves. Or like Michael taught on last week, that there is spiritual wisdom that they're trying to grasp onto. And Paul is trying to show them that people who lead the church are actually powerless. Look with me in verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants Servants literally means table waiters, like, you're, like a waiter at a restaurant. Through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given them. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives growth. So pop quiz, you ready? What does Paul do? Plants. What does Apollos do? He waters. Which one of them causes growth? Neither. I didn't give that option, but neither. You passed. Who gives the growth? We're about to plant a church in Gainesville, Florida at the University of Florida, right? You guys heard about this? It's awesome. We, we're so excited. This church is very excited for this. And many of you are even thinking about and praying on going into it, which is so exciting. And Paul Sabina, who is the lead pastor and teaching pastor here, is actually moving down to Gainesville, Florida to plant this church. If you know Paul, he is a great preacher, right? Man, he's a great teacher of God's word. He's a great person. Paul Sabino is not that great. He is not that great. I'm gonna get fired for saying, no, I'm kidding. Uh, he's not that great because he is not great enough to bring dead people to life. We can move down to Gainesville. We can plant seeds of the gospel. We can share the good news about Jesus with thousands of people. We can water that, but only God has the power to save. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Whose power? God's power. Listen, our, power, our powerlessness to save someone is actually the most comforting reality to us. Our, power, our powerlessness to save someone else is actually the most comforting thing you can realize. For you leaders in the room tonight who are continually sharing the good news about Jesus with a friend 
and you so want them to come to Christ, be comforted in the fact that you cannot save that person. Be comforted in the fact that no matter how well you share the gospel, how bad you share the gospel, nothing you can say can bring that person to life. Be comforted leader in this room who is struggling with their connection group. Man, only God can cause growth. Take heart, work hard, work like this guy who's a farmer. I'm just pointing at, sorry, I don't even know you. Uh, Like work hard, like farmers do, right? They work hard to create an environment. They, they, they change their technique. Learn to adapt. In ministry as a leader, learn to adapt, grow, adjust. But then what? Trust. Trust that only God can cause growth. It isn't how good the equipment is. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not even about salt company. Verse five, Paul calls himself a servant. So what happens, I'm curious, Paul calls himself a servant. What happens when you don't like the service? Are you still gonna get the food? Like, let me, let me explain it this way. Anyone who is a leader in ministry, who works in ministry, is on staff in ministry, they are merely servants. So, so what happens when you don't actually like the food? What happens when you graduate and you move on from Salt Company and you move away from your D group and your connection group, are you still gonna be coming back for the food? Is the, does the food still taste as good? Or are you focused on the server? Are you focused on this Thursday night service to provide for you? Or are you passionate about God pouring into you and growing from him? Growth comes from the Lord. There will be people who serve you and help you but you personally in your life can only be dependent on Jesus for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth comes from seeking the Lord. So this should give you confidence in your own relationship with God. That the fact that your own relationship with God is not dependent on Salt Company. Praise the Lord for that. You can graduate and still continue to grow in your relationship with God. This also should give you confidence as a leader. Your ability to see someone to come to Christ is not reliant on your own strength. Confidence that growth is not dependent on your leaders and comfort that growth is not dependent on you as a leader. I believe this this passage should really comfort us, give you confidence in the way that you lead, in the way that you work for the Lord. But I also think this, challenge, this passage should really challenge us. I love what Laura had to say about this last section in this chapter. She says, it both, it both takes the weight off of your leadership, but it also gives weight to what you do as a leader. And, and here's why she believes it gives weight. Look at the second part here in, in, in verse nine. It says this, for, for we are God's co-workers and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is careful to how he builds on it for no one can lay another foundation that has already been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. 
This is verse 12. This is what gives weight to you as a leader. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. Look at this. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work has been built, survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That verse that says, but each one should be careful how he builds on it. There's a lot going on in this, but really what he's saying is he's, he's talking to spiritual leaders in the church that they should be careful how they build on the foundation of the gospel. Specifically, he's referencing the foundation that he laid in Jesus Christ, which is the only true foundation of your life is Jesus Christ. He's saying this because others are going to come into your life and they're going to pour into you and they're going to build upon that foundation of Christ. And those who build on your life and those who work as leaders in the church to build on others should be cautious that what they are doing is quality work because one day, whatever we have built with our life, this passage says is going to be revealed by fire. So here's the challenge, ready? Be cautious of the people who are building on your life. Be cautious of the people who are building on your life because the things that they are doing are of eternal worth. Paul is writing to a church that is clinging onto leaders in an unhealthy way. So he's telling them, listen, be cautious of clinging onto these leaders. But I think more explicitly, Paul is calling you to think about the work that you are doing in your lifetime and that he's calling you to be careful in the way you live your life. This gives a serious weightiness to your spiritual leadership to other people. And I'll say it kind of very simply, what you're doing right now matters. For the day will disclose it, verse 12 says, it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. One day you are going to come face to face with the creator of the universe. And everything in your life in a moment, will be tested by fire, it says. So what have you spent your life building? It gives us a couple different options. With, with stone, with precious metals, things that take time, that are costly. Or have you spent your time building with straw and hay? What was built with straw and hay is going to burn up these are cheap, quick fixes in your life. But things that are built with diamonds will remain. We must, I think we also must know this, 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 this fact. The things that you do in life, the things that you're doing in life do not just automatically earn you a reward. The fact that you're a salt leader does not earn you any points in heaven. What the Lord is going to test one day 
Is, is your motives and your intention and your quality within that. And in a moment, all of this will be exposed. All of your motives in this world, all the things that you spent your life doing, all the things you spent your summers doing. And I think this should challenge us because we don't need to feel the weight of people's salvation because only Jesus could bear that weight. But we should feel the weight of our service towards the Lord in this lifetime. One day, everything is going to be revealed by fire. And, and, and I want to just ask this, what are you spending your life doing? What are you giving your life to? I know we've got summer mission trips coming up and that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like there's an opportunity to invest in something weighty in gold or there's the, the opportunity to, to spend your summer making money for yourself. And I'm curious, at the end of your life, when you get before God and all these things in our life that we have done for the Lord and they're burned up in a moment, what is going to last? The summer spent trying to gain a lot of money or some money, let's be honest, you guys aren't gaining a ton of money. Or in investing your summer sharing the gospel across the sea. Many of you will, will think of it like this, like, okay, if I follow God and if I invest in things with matter, if I become a leader, like there's all these things that I'm going to lose, but I don't think that's the reality. And I don't think that that's what this text shows us. That when we give up something for the Lord, whatever that is, when you, and I, I believe this truth permeates throughout any situation in your life. When you give up something for the sake of following Jesus, you don't lose anything. You gain everything. When you decide to follow Jesus rather than yourself, immediately you're gonna think about what am I gonna lose? I think this applies to the Christian and the non-Christian. Man, for the, those who are, who, who are not Christ followers and we talk about Jesus and we talk about following him, the first thing that might come into your mind is this. What am I going to, I might lose that relationship. I, I might have to, to quit this thing that I'm holding on to. Maybe that I feel like addicted to and I just don't even want that to come to the light and I don't wanna lose this relationship. I don't wanna stop sleeping with this boyfriend. I don't wanna stop sleeping with this girlfriend. I don't wanna give up my money. I don't wanna give up my time. All of these things, what this is showing us, when you decide to follow Jesus rather than yourself, this passage tells us it's worth it. It is worth choosing to follow Jesus rather than yourself. And one day, in a moment, all of our life will be right before our eyes and we will stand before God and we will give an account for what we do. Our lives, I think, would look different if we began to live with an internal perspective. If each day you got up and thought about, is this gaining me reward in heaven? Or is this gaining me reward right now? Listen, I think we can be comforted in the fact that only God has the power to save. It is not in our own doing. We do not do things for God to try to get to heaven. We don't do things to God to try to please him. It's not about what we can do. 
It's all about what God has already done for you in Jesus. He has given you a new identity in Christ. But we should also be challenged tonight that what we do on earth right now, what you do on earth right now matters. Is your life built on the foundation that Paul was preaching or is it built on sinking sand? Are you building your life on what matters, on the foundation of who God says you are? Are you just worried about what's gonna get you by through today? Listen, I think these truths should resonate with us, that we should have a deeper understanding of the gospel. Man, we should move away from conforming to the world, have comfort in knowing that God alone has the power to save, and that we should be challenged that what we do in this lifetime for the Lord matters. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, I am comforted in the fact that only you have the power to save people. God, only you had the power to save me. Father, I was lost, slave to sin, far from you. And God, I could not do anything to save myself. Father, I pray that everyone in this room knows that there is nothing that they can do. No matter how hard they try to, to break that sin, no matter how hard they try to, to earn your favor, Lord, that there is nothing we can do that can wash away our sin. But there is only what you have done for us. And Father, that is that you have sent your son to die the death that we deserved. And he was buried, but three days later, he rose from the grave. Father, and if we believe that his death counts for us and we turn away from our sin, God, that we can have life. Father, I am comforted in that truth because I know there is nothing that I can say, there is nothing that Salt Company can say that can save people. It is only your gospel. Father, tonight, May anything that I say just wash away. But Lord, may your word, anything that you would have to speak into someone's heart right now, Father, I pray that your spirit works in them right now. Something of eternal worth. Father, may we be comforted that you alone have the power to save. Father, may we be challenged and leave tonight not to conform to this world, that we cannot remain looking like the world. Father, let us be challenged to give our life in building something that truly matters, which is your kingdom.